It's good to be with you again uh, tonight to open God's Word. And I'd like you to turn now in the Scriptures to Psalm 95, a portion of which psalm we've just sung. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 95. In our time together, we've been thinking about um, our God and our Savior and our Great Commission this morning. And tonight we want to turn and think about uh, an area of uh, Christian experience. How do we respond to these things? Or how have we respond, responded uh, to not just to what you've heard in the, these last couple of weeks, but to the gospel? And uh, a, cent- a central part of that is our hearts. Uh, our experience with God uh, comes centrally to our hearts. So let's read Psalm 95. Hear God's word. O come and let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Can this this happen to you? (laughs) Psalm uh, 95 is definitely a praise psalm, isn't it? But it's a praise psalm with a warning. Uh, As you go through the first part, uh, it's all praise of God as the creator and as the one who is our shepherd, has called us into relationship with him and so forth. And then uh, the last part of verse 7 it changes tone a bit and says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And it goes on there in verses 7 to 11 to speak about uh, the Israelites uh, who were uh, destined to be in the wilderness for 40 years and did not enter God's rest, the promised land of rest. The psalm written generations later recalls that period of Israelite history particularly uh, Meribah and Massa, where the people uh, complained and grumbled and disbelieved God, broke his commandments, even though God had shown them great signs uh, in bringing them out of Egypt and then even in the, uh, the, as they journeyed in the desert prior to that. And because of these sins, that first generation that came out of Egypt spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and they never... Uh, went into the promised land, the generation following was able to do that. And the writer of Psalm 95 says very clearly to his generation, don't let that happen to you. One might ask, but isn't this a psalm uh, of the Old Testament? Does it really 
apply to Christians today. We have believed in Christ. We are the sheep of his pasture. We've been saved by grace, not by our works. And we know that uh, scripture teaches the perseverance of the saints, better the preservation of the saints. God preserves those who he's brought to know Christ, who he's redeemed. Once saved, always saved is a simple way of putting it. So is it really possible that any of us here who are believers, apparently, who are members of the church, who are children, uh, teenagers, all of us here who come to church regularly and members or uh, baptized members or communicant members or visitors uh, being a part of God's community, is it really possible that any of us need to hear this warning? This can't happen to you and me, can it? Uh, There was a song uh, back, I think, in the 50s or 60s Uh, that uh, was popular and it was uh, a song about uh, about something was happening in uh, Boston and in Boston apparently they were raising the fee on the subway line uh, the MTA and uh, so there's a political uh, battle going on and the Kingston Trio wrote a song kind of spoofing on the whole thing Uh, it's called the man who never returned some of you remember that song. And so in the song, there's a, there's a man, I forget his name, and I want to be careful. I mean, it wasn't a real person, but there's a man, but I keep thinking it's Charlie. Was it Charlie? Okay. So, so, uh, so Charlie gets on the subway and, and doesn't realize that the cost of uh, the train has changed from five cents a nickel to ten cents a dime. And he only has a nickel in his pocket, and in that case, you, you paid as you got off, I guess, of the subway, which I still don't quite understand that concept. But anyways, Charlie got on the train, and he couldn't get off because he only had a nickel. He didn't have a dime. And so for the rest of his life, he just rode the Boston subway around and around, and his wife would come down every afternoon at noontime and hand him a sandwich through the window as he'd go flying by uh, the station and on his way, it was called the, the Man Who Never Returned. And at the beginning of the song, the Kingston Trio uh, kind of mimicked a radio announcer and said, listen carefully, because this could happen to you. Uh, if, you ra- if they allowed them to raise the rate of the subway price. And uh, of course, I don't think it would ever happen, <laughs> even though they did raise the price. But, but the point is, you know, could, could this happen to us? Do we need this warning? Could we not enter uh, God's rest? Or is this inappropriate for, uh, to even preach on or talk about in a Christian service? Well, the writer to the Hebrews thought that it did apply to Christians. And if you just turn over with me to Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, uh, the writer of the Hebrews quotes a portion of this psalm and talks about it for a while. Hebrews chapter 3 Verses 12 through 14. Hebrews 3. He says in verse uh, 7, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes pretty much that portion of the psalm, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Then verse 12 of chapter 3, the writer says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, be in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. 
but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share Christ if, we, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then he continues to talk about this for about a half a chapter and, and then kind of concludes this section in chapter 4, verse 11. He says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one will fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so he calls them to strive to enter God's rest. He says that the, in this passage, uh, in the earlier part, he says that we should take care, uh, that we should be watchful, that our hearts should not be evil, inclined to sin, that they should not be unbelieving and disobedient, hardened against God, and that we fall short of entering God's rest. And here, he's not talking, the writer of the Hebrews is not talking about the promised land of Canaan. He's talking about our eternal rest in heaven. So he's saying, don't come short of that. We need to realize then that it's possible that some of us here might come short of that rest. And I would say that that could happen in in two ways. There could be some among us who are only hypocritical in our apparent faith. Uh, We maybe say that we're Christians, we've professed our faith, or we come to church and outwardly seem to be Christians, but God knows our hearts and that really our hearts have never been changed. Our hearts have never been transformed. And so I want to speak to that condition uh, in the first part of the sermon. But then it's also uh, true that there can be those of you who are truly born again and you uh, are ones who are striving to have a pure heart and an undivided heart and yet it's a battle that goes on and I think he's addressing that too. So he's addressing possibly hypocritical professions which he's not able to see and we're not able to see but he's also addressing the battles that we have in our sanctification as Christians, that there are different ways our heart can be harmed or our heart can go the wrong way. And so in the second part of the sermon, I wanna talk uh, more about that. So let's uh, begin, um, but but one way or another, we can say that uh, when it comes to our Christian experience, our Christian response to the gospel, uh, the, re- the heart really is the heart of the matter. So let's uh, think about a little bit, first of all, about the meaning of heart in the Bible and the importance uh, that the Bible gives to the heart. What does the Bible mean when it uses the term heart? Basically, it's talking about the center of every human being. I'm sure even the children would understand that when the Bible talks about your heart, it's not talking about, usually not talking about that physical uh, muscle that beats within your chest. Uh, we even, in our language, talk uh, about heart in a, in a symbolic way. We give our heart to, per, uh, to a person or someone is heartbroken. It doesn't mean their physical heart broke in half. It means that something deep inside of them was hurt or something deep inside of them is moved uh, to great joy. So the idea of the heart in scripture is what's deep inside a person, the the character of the person, we might say, uh, his inner life, his or her inner life. 
uh, a person's desires and purposes. We might say it this way in our society, what makes a person tick? What really makes a person who he is or who she is? Who that person is deep down inside. And Proverbs 23, uh, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's Proverbs 23, 7. Maybe that's a verse you memorize somewhere along the way. And it's a beautiful verse that seems to state that idea. What's, what a person really is, is what he is in his heart, what he's thinking in his heart. Now, sometimes we miss the context of that. And the context is, if you're out uh, to lunch with somebody, and that person really is your enemy, but is pretending to be your friend, watch out, be careful. Because even if he's nice to you, uh, even if he seems to care about you, what really matters is what's inside of him, how he's really feeling in his heart. So we kind of miss, uh, when we just quote that verse out of context, we missed uh, what it's talking about, but still it comes back to the truth that you think of when you say, as a person is in his heart, so is he. That's really what it's saying. What's really going on inside is, is what uh, is in the heart and what, a heart, what the heart is. We could say it's synonymous with the soul. Jesus said, what good does it do a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? We may have all kinds of riches outwardly and so forth, but what if he loses who he is at death, if he loses that relationship with God, if he is sent to eternal destruction? So the meaning of the heart is who you really are, and that affects everything else in your life. Well, Scripture teaches us that it's the most important part of us in our response to God, and so it tells us to guard our hearts with all vigilance, and that's Proverbs 4.23, and it's probably uh, the verse that's most important to take away from today's sermon. Proverbs 4.23, for children and for adults alike, guard your heart with all vigilance. My father uh, used to tell us a story. He was in World War II, and he was over in France, and his, uh, he was a sergeant in the Army, and his unit uh, was uh, the ones who took care of the ammunition. So they were not on the front lines, but they were not far from the front lines, they were supplying the soldiers on the front lines with the, the bullets and the, so forth to fight in World War II. And one time, uh, so they had the ammunition dump. That's what they were in charge of. They had to watch over it, and they had to be sure it was ready, and they had to convey it out to the soldiers when it was needed. And my father tells a story that uh, one night uh, they woke up in the morning and they found that there had been uh, German paratroopers that had dropped in behind the lines and sought to blow up the ammunition dump. And they had laid the explosive wires and everything, but somehow the fuses or whatever had not worked, and so it hadn't blown up, and the Americans found these things, and they realized that uh, there had been people trying to sabotage the ammunition dump. And so my father and some others were sent out into the countryside, the French countryside, to see if they could find these German paratroopers who had, who had disappeared. And uh, they were walking, my father and the others were walking uh, through a French uh, farm area, and all of a sudden from behind a haystack, uh, I don't know how many, but several 
Germans came running out from behind the haystack with their hands up saying, we surrender, we surrender, however you say that in French or German, I'm not sure. I think they, I think they were saying it in French so that everybody would understand. And uh, my father and the other men had their guns over their shoulder, and really these paratroopers, if they'd wanted to or thought about it, they could have just come out and uh, killed my father and all the others, but they knew they were behind enemy lines, and perhaps they were ones uh, who were not too excited about the battle that was being fought, so they were ready to give themselves up. But uh, the point is uh, that I'm making uh, is that this ammunition dump was something that needed to be guarded vigilantly, and I, I don't know if it wasn't that night, apparently not, uh, but it was, you know, it was so important to, to everything else that was going on in the war. And so the Bible's saying that that's the way our heart is. It's something that we need to guard very carefully. We need to vigilantly guard. I, I used to think, or maybe some translations say, diligently guard your heart. And that's a, a good thing to do, to do it uh, diligently. But vigilantly, you understand, means to be like a soldier who's protecting uh, the most valuable things and the most important things that you have. Well, what is the condition of the human heart? I mean, what is it naturally? And is it possible to change that condition? Scripture answers those questions in no uncertain terms. The heart and regeneration, the changing of the heart. Uh, what is the, the condition of the heart? Well, first of all, it's wicked. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Way back in Genesis, that's the way the heart was. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, which we read earlier, says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We can't understand each other's sinful hearts very well, and we can't even understand our own hearts. Romans 1, 18 through 24, says that mankind suppresses the truth about God by Mankind's unrighteousness. Romans 3 says, no one is righteous, not one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Our hearts are inclined to all sorts of evil and to run away from God and his righteousness. Well, perhaps when you really think about that, you maybe react just a little bit to that and you say, are people really that that bad. I mean, there's a lot of non-Christians who do many good things, aren't there? So are people really that bad as the Bible says they are? Are people really as wicked as these scriptures indicate? Now, certainly it's true that people aren't always as bad as they could possibly be. And as a friend of mine says, people, a lot of us don't do some of the evil things we could do because we're, we're never given the opportunity or we're afraid what will happen if we uh, give in to those. But, uh, but as, you, as, you, as you think about it, yes, uh, this is true. I, and I would just uh, point us to Ukraine today. I've heard people say, how could this be happening in the 21st century? Well, because the heart of man is evil and horrible atrocities going on and things that we just can't believe that maybe many of us thought we, we were done with, <laughs> that this wasn't going to happen. But man's heart has not changed. Or think about this recent mass 
shooting. I read in, I believe it was your newspaper, someone said that the action of the shooter shows that he was a completely evil person. Well, yes, he was filled with evil and he did something unbelievably wicked, but is he really any more evil than any of us? Did he somehow become more evil or he grew up more evil or he was created more evil than you and I? I don't believe so. There may be all kinds of reasons behind what happened, but, and it was evil. I don't want to minimize that at all, but it's not like he's a Hitler and none of the rest of us are. Those of us who've lived long enough are no longer surprised by the things done by human beings, sometimes by people we never thought capable of some of the things they've done. I'm afraid that we all have a Hitler inside of us, And when we see people sin greatly, we need to have justice and we need to speak frankly about what it is. But we also, in our own hearts, have to say, there but for the grace of God, go I. Not only is the heart wicked, but according to Scripture, the human heart is intransient. It's incorrigible. It's unchangeable without outside help. Do you believe that about what the Bible says? That you cannot change your own heart. Jeremiah 13, 23 says... Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? If so, then you also who, who can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Now, that's not a racist statement or something about black people are black or white people are white. It's just saying you can't change the color of your skin. And I guess today there are ways to put on suntan lotion. And even further than that, I guess we do have means of changing color of skin. Uh, but... Uh, The point is that if we're used to doing bad, we can't suddenly change and do good. We can't do that in our own strength. No more than a leopard can change the spots or the color of his coat. But God can change our hearts. And how is the heart changed? How does God change the heart? In Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20, the Lord says, promises, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them, and I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20, a a prophecy of the new covenant, and like some others, it's mentioning a new heart that loves God and keeps his commandments. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 puts it this way, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That combines the work of the spirit and sanctification and cleansing, but also it speaks of Christ's death and the forgiveness of sins. These verses are describing regeneration, the new birth, the, the uh, work of God which Jesus, about which Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John 3. He said, you must be born again, regeneration, made new. And Nicodemus seemed not to be able to comprehend this, and Jesus said, you're a teacher in Israel, and you don't understand this. This is basic. This is the beginning of the Christian life. This is uh, what you should understand. And Nicodemus later did, by God's grace, come to understand it, we're pretty sure. God changes the heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And the change God works in your heart is just like the wind, John 3 says. It's something you can't see. Uh, when the wind's blowing, you don't see the wind itself, but you maybe see the dust and you see the leaves rustling. You see the effects of the wind. And so it is with regeneration. We can't see the spirit come and go in a person's heart into the hearts of our children. We can't see that, but we can see the effects in people's lives as they begin to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and love him and follow his commandments. God changes the heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. And I trust that most of you understand this and have experienced regeneration. And it may happen differently for you than it happens for someone else. It's dangerous if we start making a formula and say, this is exactly how the Spirit works. Or this will be exactly uh, the situation in which it happens. If we were to hear all of our testimonies tonight, we'd hear some who quietly came into the kingdom, maybe not even knowing when that happened. and Others who had a certain experience at a time in life. We will hear of people who came from a very uh, terrible life situation and people came from Christian homes. And sometimes it's hard if you were an adult who became a Christian uh, later in life, and now you're raising children that are covenant children, uh, you, you have to think a lot about what's going on in their lives and how are they coming to Christ. It may not be exactly the same way that you came to Christ. But regeneration is God's work, and I hope that pretty much all of you have understood that and experienced that. I trust that most of you have know that you've believed in Christ and repented of your sins and actually become Christ's disciples, and when you sin, you feel conviction. And though you sin, your heart's desire is to follow Christ. And though you confess your sins and you sin again, often, and sometimes the same sins over and over, you know that God has called you and blessed you and saved you. But if not, if there's some of you who maybe aren't really convinced of what I've covered so far, if you're not, you're maybe convinced that uh, the heart's important, uh, but maybe you're not convinced that the heart is wicked. and Maybe you're not convinced that you can't change your own heart, become a better person just by your own efforts. Then I would ask you just to think about the passage that was read, uh, Jeremiah 17. And I want to just read again a little bit of Jeremiah 17 because it really says pretty much, I think I've said pretty much uh, things that are in that chapter, Jeremiah 17. Verse 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. To trust in yourself and to thereby turn away from the Lord is a, is a bad thing. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in a parched place in a wilderness. And then in contrast to that, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water. So the Bible describes this is what it's like if you don't trust in Christ, and this is what it's like if you do. And then it goes on in verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We've already talked some about that. And then it says the Lord searches the heart. And he tests the mind. And so he knows what's inside of us, whether we've come to Christ or not, whether we're really born again. He, he, will, he will give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And then it says, 
O Lord, the hope of Israel, verse 13, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, in the ground, I think is the idea. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Jesus talked about that. He's, he's the wa- he brings the water of life. And so those who don't follow Christ are turning away from the only fountain that can save them. They're turning away from life. And it goes on then, uh, Jeremiah, I believe, responding to all this, he says in verse 14 of chapter 17, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. So maybe if I've convinced you at all, if you're not a Christian, that this is really something that you need, there's the answer. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. God does save through Jesus Christ, doesn't he? But let's go on then and talk a little bit about uh, further changes of the heart, the heart and sanctification. We've kind of talked about the heart and regeneration, but now the heart and sanctification. There are at least four terms that uh, you find in different parts of the scripture about kinds of of a heart that we don't want to have that as Christians, we want to try to avoid, deal with, pray for the Lord's help against. And I've listed them there in your outline. A hard heart, a wandering heart, a wasted heart, or a dissipated heart, and a disheartened heart. That may sound uh, redundant, but I think it's a key one also. And I'd like us just to think about those here in the last part of our sermon Uh, these four types of a heart. And I want you to think about it as Christians, Christians who have been changed by the Holy Spirit, Christians who do love the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, ones who have been bought with a price, have entered into his kingdom. But are there some ways we need to fight against and beware of these things in our hearts? And they really do overlap. I, I think as you read scripture, some of these are, somewhat synonymous with each other Um, so uh, and maybe there's some of the same ways you deal with them uh, with one as you do with the other so just uh, thinking first of all about a hardness of heart that that's spoken of in our text and uh, it was what the Israelites who weren't permitted to enter the promised land had a hard heart we don't believe none of them were saved Uh, a lot of them probably did repent Uh, and so forth, but they didn't enter the land. But uh, Pharaoh is probably the person we think of first in the scriptures about a hard heart and the way God kept speaking to him, but he just kept back, kept refusing. He hardened his heart. The Lord hardened his heart, it says, also. And so it's a really dangerous thing to have a hardened heart because you you don't know what's going to come from that. And I believe that it's possible for those of us who are Christians to uh, become hard of heart. We talk about hardening of the arteries in the physical realm. Well, I think there's a danger as we mature in the Christian life that our uh, arteries, our spiritual arteries can become hard. And the Bible says that happens if we go on in sin. And it says that if we don't believe the Lord. And so I think as we have a pattern of disbelief, or we have a repeated 
a continuation in sin with a refusal to turn away from that sin. In Proverbs, uh, then, then that's, that's dangerous for us. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 uh, is a verse that says, my son, uh, do not uh, disregard the discipline of the Lord or resist that. I'm not quoting it exactly. Uh, for the Lord chastens those he loves. And so uh, just as we want our children when we have to discipline them or spank them or whatever, we want them to respond and uh, maybe they cry and they're unhappy, but they respond to us and they really don't want to do what they've done and they want to not repeat that. So we want to respond to the Lord, not with a hard heart or a stiff neck, uh, but a soft heart. And so one of the ways to do that is to remember that when, when the Lord disciplines you for sin, to respond to that and be thankful for that and to have a soft heart that he doesn't have to rope you and tie you and put a bit in your mouth to keep you from going on in your sins. A wandering heart. This also was characteristic of Israel. Like sheep, they strayed. They saw the pleasures of the people around them, the pagan people, and they were drawn to their way of life and to their loves and to their activities. They followed their gods and their evil ways. John warns us against the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the sinful pride of life. I think that's some of the things we can wander into. Wanting the things of this world that attract our eyes, wanting the things of this world that attract our flesh, and wanting that uh, uh, honor and praise of other people, that pride of life that always is there, uh, that continually we battle against a wandering heart. Let's keep our eyes straight ahead. Let's seek those things that are good. Let's develop those talents that God's given us and use those for his glory. Let's not wander from side to side. Let's not be pulled in to what uh, is evil around us or the uh, inclinations of our own sinful nature. Paul said, I know that there's no good thing that dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. And he wasn't talking just about the body. He was saying, without Christ, there's no good in him but there is good in us through Christ. And then a, a wasted heart. Uh, a word that's a, a good word is dissipation. Um, this is related to a wandering heart, but it's a heart weighted down or wasted with uh, worries and pleasures and trivial pursuits, not the game, but trivial matters that take up your time. In the parable of the soils of Mark, this is the description of the seed that choked the weeds, uh, that was choked by the weeds and the thorns. Uh, Luke 21, 34 refers to this also. Luke 21, verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For young people, Watch out for those things that may uh, attract you as being fun things or things that you can get pleasure out of, and yet they will really harm your life. They'll, they'll destroy your life. For those of us who are all older, uh, let's not let our money draw us and be the motivating force in our lives. And for all of us, let's trust in the Lord. Let's not let worry go on and on not be dissipated by these things, not be wasted. 
And then finally, there's a disheartened heart. And as I said, that's kind of redundant, a disheartened heart. But I do think that this is probably one of the most common things that ails uh, Christians, just feeling defeated and discouraged and not very excited about life. And you may go through experiences like that and even sometimes wonder, am I Christian if, if I have these feelings? And I think in that regard, we need to recognize some of the emotional cycles we go through and we need to realize things that stimulate us to happiness and joy and things that bring us down. We need to realize that there are experiences in life, times of death and sadness that we have to deal with and that can really affect our emotions. And we also need to realize that there are attacks of the enemy, even though, again, we can't understand them completely. In Psalm 42 and 43, it seems that the writer uh, has, has, is going through some of that disheartening of the heart and this, that discouragement. And some of that was coming, he says, from the attacks of those who said there is no God and from Satan himself, I would say. And so his answer in Psalm 42, verse 5 and verse 11 and in Psalm 43, verse 5 are, why are you cast down, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He speaks to himself. He speaks to his heart. He speaks to his soul. And he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. And whatever are some helpful things that we have in life that can bring us up out of the dumps, and there's nothing wrong with making use of good advice and things like that. Ultimately, there's nothing that can really save us uh, and give us hope more than the faith we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge that we are in his hand, that we have been forgiven and saved by him, that we have purpose here in life and that there's eternal life to follow. Be on your guard. Make every effort to fight against these things and to avoid these things. And when you fall into them, realize you're not the first person or the last person that's going to experience these things. But if you've never come to Christ, realize that you need to not try to change yourself. You need Christ to transform your heart. And if you are a Christian and a believer, realize that you go through times of struggle, uh, times of sin, times of disappointment, but guard your heart with all vigilance. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gracious work you do in people's lives, bringing them to faith and repentance. Father, we thank you for the work you've done in so many uh, among us here today. Lord, as Christians, uh, we still struggle with these ups and downs, and Lord, easily we can go for a long time letting our heart grow hard or allowing our heart uh, to wander. And Lord, we pray that you'll keep uh, our youth and ourselves from the things that will just waste their hearts and dissipate their hearts. And Lord, we pray that you uh, will Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and on the salvation that we have in Christ and the joys and promises and blessings of being a Christian, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so, Lord, help us to keep our eyes straight ahead and to walk in your ways. Help us to take real care uh, to guard our hearts from some of these uh, traps and these dangers. Lord, we pray that you will...
prosper your people and bless each one of us, especially, Lord, we pray this for our children. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing uh, Psalm 1, Psalm 1a. I don't know if you noticed how Jeremiah 17 almost has a, a contrast there of Psalm 1 and then almost a quote of Psalm 1. Uh, and whichever came first, I don't know. But uh, Psalm 1 is a good way to uh, finish our sermon today and our thoughts uh, at the end of the day. Blessed uh, is the man who walks in God's ways. Uh, let's, we'll sing Psalm 1a and then have the benediction and the doxology will be 3b tonight, verse, stanzas two and five, so find that. Uh, we'll stand for all these and then be seated afterwards for some prayer time. We'll stand.